Hello, you're listening to Medical School with Michaela. This medical um, podcast is designed to give you an overview of all of the things that you need to know to take your shelf exams and be successful. In the past, I had been recording several different lectures on um, different things from Blueprints for Family Medicine, but I found that it's more efficient if I help to do my study guides out of Step Up to Family Medicine, which is just another resource that you can purchase that uh, will allow you to do well in your shelf exams. So today we will be talking about psychological disorders in adults. General things that you need to recognize is that neuropsychiatric disorders are the leading cause of morbidity in adults, and that less than one-third of adults with a diagnosable mental disorder actually receive treatment in a single year. So a lot of the patients that you will be interacting with actually do have some kind of psychiatric disorder that is underlying to a lot of their medical conditions. Depressed patients also have a really big uh, increase in their likelihood of having coronary artery disease, and vice versa. So the major types of psychiatric disorders that you'll see in your family medicine uh, clerkship are um, affective conditions, anxiety, and you will also see some obsessive compulsive disorder as well as psychotic disorders, eating disorders, and eating disorders. You may also see sexual dysfunction as well as post-traumatic stress-related disorders, and um, you may also see some other body dysmorphic conditions, but that goes into eating disorders as well as the obsessive-compulsive disorder um, branch of things. So, um, affective disorders. The big one to think about is major depressive disorder. To diagnose this, there has to be um, basically a lot of depressive symptoms, which I'll get into. So, um, The 12-month prevalence of this is about 10% in women and 5% in men. Um, This is defined as having two or more weeks of persistently low mood or anhedonia. Anhedonia is also defined as lack of interest in doing things that you normally like doing. And that causes problems in functioning, and that's not a result of medical illness or substance abuse. So when you're asking patients about things, you want to make sure that you ask them, are they taking any medications, do they have a medical illness, and what substances do they use? For treatment, you want to think about things like SSRIs, SNRIs, and uh, bupropion, mirtazapine, and you can also do um, CBT. Ideally, you want to use CBT and a medication together because they work better in tandem than either one does alone. Moving on, we'll talk about bipolar affective disorder. So there's bipolar affective disorder one, which um, has patients who have manic episodes that last at least one week and they have marked functional impairment. Um, People with this disorder will have uh, episodes where they buy cars, they sell all their stuff, they do lots of crazy things that they would never endorse when they're not in a manic episode. However, in a patient who has bipolar affective disorder 2, they have the same symptoms, but they only have to have um, what seems like a manic episode that lasts at least four days, and they don't have um, marked functional impairment. In fact, they may say that they're just feeling good for a little while, and then they um, are back to normal. They also have persistent depression on top of this condition. For treatment of this, rather than using an SSRI, especially in someone who has a bipolar disorder, we'd like to use something like lithium, lamotrigine, which is also an antipsychotic, and other atypical um, antipsychotics. The reason why we don't use SSRIs in these patients is because we can end up putting a person who is presenting with a depressive episode and we kick them into a manic episode. So asking about if they've ever had a manic episode is very important. We also can treat them with a cognitive behavioral therapy as well as family psychoeducation. 
Moving on to anxiety, we have generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social phobias, and agoraphobias. We also have um, something else that we'll talk about soon. So, um, anxiety disorder is thought of, the big one that we think about is generalized anxiety disorder. You may remember from your family medicine clerkship or on your family medicine clerkship that you see GAD-7s, which are assessments for generalized anxiety disorder. These are patients who have excessive worry about things that causes them to have dysfunction. We treat these similarly to how we treat depression. So we treat them with SSRIs, SNRIs, and bupropion, and we can also use CBT therapies. For panic disorder, they have repeated panic attacks. They also have fear of having another panic attack. And there's also a negative change in behavior to try to avoid having another attack. So they may try to recognize triggers and it may not work. Um, The treatments are the same as generalized anxiety disorder, which as you can remember are the same as treatment for depression. So SSRIs, SNRIs, bupropion, and cognitive behavioral therapy. Remembering that these in tandem always work better than just one therapy alone. Social phobias are marked stress about social situations in which the patient could be negatively evaluated by other people. So you have people who they don't show up to um, their lectures because it's their turn to give a talk and they'll drive all the way there and they'll turn around because they're too anxious about it. Um, They may avoid situations um, or they can have a lot of stress when they're in these situations. And the treatment is primarily CBT, but you can also use SSRIs. You may also use um, beta blockers to treat the uh, performance anxiety that these patients may have. Agoraphobia is when there's a marked fear of being in situations in which they can't escape or they can't get help, um, and it would be very difficult for them. And they experience a lot of distress, um, or they um, think that they may have some embarrassing symptoms. And so you have people who may not be able to ride um, public transportation, um, they may not be able to be in open spaces or even in closed spaces, and then they may hate being in crowds. It can be different depending on who you're talking to. Uh, You may find that patients end up avoiding um, these situations or they have a lot of stress when they're in a crowd or they just don't do crowds. Um, The treatment is primarily CBT. It's important to note that people who have agoraphobia don't stay inside all day. It can be someone that says, I hate crowds and that I have to get through them or they're so stressed out that they are having extreme anxiety when they're in a crowd. The next thing we need to do is talk about somatic uh, symptom problems. The thing that I'd like to um, say is that the patients have symptoms that are very real. It's just that there is no physiologic basis for why they're having these symptoms. So don't deny that a patient is in pain. They are actually in pain, but you may not be able to figure out uh, why it is that they're in pain from a physiologic perspective. So... With somatic symptom problems, they have multiple distressing physical symptoms with a negative medical evaluation, which causes marked worry, which may cause them to have a major focus of their life being the somatic symptoms that they're having. Um, You also have patients who have uh, illness anxiety disorder where they're very worried about um, having a a serious medical illness. Um, You may hear this colloquially called um, hypochondria. And there's also conversion disorder in which there's a problem in voluntary muscle or sensory function that causes them to be um, able to use that and then they um, don't have an underlying medical condition. The thing with conversion disorder is that there's often some type of emotional stressor or physical stressor that causes the patient have these um, symptoms. The treatment for all of these is primarily cognitive behavioral therapy. 
As far as psychotic disorders go, the one that we think about are schizophrenia and brief psychotic um, disorder. So in schizophrenia, they have delusions, hallucinations, grossly abnormal speech or behavior, and this is marked by limited emotions or motivational or motivation present for at least six months. You do not have schizophrenia if it hasn't been going on for six months. Um, you have schizophreniform until it's been six months. For treatment, you want to treat them with psychopharmacological uh, therapies, with atypical antipsychotics, and they can also be uh, a benefit from family psychoeducation and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. As far as brief psychotic episodes go, or brief psychotic disorder, they have the same symptoms as schizophrenia, but the duration can be one day or it can be less than a month. If they're having it for more than a month, you start to get concerned that it's something else. They will fully return to baseline, but they are treated with antipsychotics, family psychoeducation, and cognitive behavioral therapy. The big difference between this and schizophrenia is that this is one day to one month rather than at least six months. Eating disorders. I feel like this is something that a lot of us are familiar with. But um, the big ones that we think about are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. Anorexia disorder is when there is low food intake leading to a significantly low weight. Um, patients often fear gaining weight or getting fat. They have distorted body image, so they may be very thin and they may not recognize that they are so thin and they are still trying to lose weight. And the treatment is primarily CBT and family therapy. You do need to recognize that if a patient is unstable or their weight is so low, you may have to admit these patients to the hospital so that they're receiving the proper care they need. Bulimia nervosa is similar, but they have excessive binge eating in a very short period of time. Um, they also lose control of eating while binging, so they will eat a lot. Um, they engage in harmful behaviors after binging, so that'll include fasting, excessive exercise, or use of diuretics and laxatives, and they also have forced vomiting. So looking for calluses on the hands of patients, especially the index finger or the middle finger, can help to... Um, figure out if the patient is trying to force emesis in themselves. The treatment for this would be um, cognitive behavioral therapy, but you could also try SSRIs. Um, binge eating disorder is when a patient uh, binge eats uh, without harmful behaviors. You may want to talk about CBT with that patient. So um, moving on to obsessive compulsive disorder as well as other related conditions. Obsessive compulsive disorders have to have obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are these recurrent, very distressing thoughts or images or urges um, the patient tries to alleviate by engaging in a compulsion. And the compulsion makes them feel better. Um, it's a thought or behavior um, that makes them feel like something bad won't happen if I just do this. And so compulsions can be hand washing, they can be checking and rechecking things like are the lights off, is the uh, gas in the stove off, and then they can also count. But these are very very distressing and they can cause problems. So a patient may spend so much time turning the lights on and off that it makes them late to work. Um, the treatment for this would be pharmacologic therapy with SSRIs and uh, you can use cognitive behavioral therapy as well. Body dysmorphic disorder is very similar to eating disorders, but they have obsessions with perceived flaws and appearance that others dismiss. So a person may think that they have a very, very large nose. And when you look at their nose, you find that their nose is no larger than a nose that you've ever seen. Or they may think that they have very eyes, they have eyes that are very um, wide set or they have very short fingers, but you don't actually notice that they have this um, change in this difference in their body that other people may have. Um, they also have excessive behaviors and thoughts about these flaws that really don't exist, and we treat them with cognitive behavioral therapy. 
Hoarding disorder is also an important one to talk about. Um, they basically have distress with discarding possessions of any kind. You'll have people who have newspapers and trash all over their house because they think everything could hold some value. Um, it results in there being a lot of clutter in the home, and there's lots of areas in the house that may be unusable or it may be hard to move around the home. It's treated with cognitive behavioral therapy. And um, in Washtenaw County, where we live, um, we have a hoarding task force that helps to help out these patients. Trichotillomania is basically repeatedly pulling out the hair, which causes hair loss that's distressing or causes problems in functioning. And patients who are engaging in uh, this um, pulling out of hair can end up actually eating the hair, and that can cause there to be obstruction of the bowel, and you can actually find a hairball in those patients. Um, they are always trying to stop this behavior, but treatment can be achieved through cognitive behavioral therapy. So trauma and stress-related disorders. You have post-traumatic stress disorder um, as well as acute stress disorder. And it's important to know the difference between the two because it's important to diagnose a patient. So a patient may be exposed to threatened or actual death, serious injury, or sexual violence, and that leads to them having at least one month of intrusive symptoms, avoidance symptoms, negative changes, and hyperarousal. Intrusive symptoms are things like memories or dreams or uh, even flashbacks that distress the patient. Um... Avoiding things can be avoiding reminders of the event, or they can have negative changes in their thoughts and their moods, and they can become very depressed. And there's also hyperarousal associated with the event where they are very um, aware of things and they are very jumpy. We can treat them with um, SSRI, CBT, eye movement, and de uh, desensitization processing, reprocessing. Um, acute stress disorder is uh, very similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. However, um, this lasts between three days and one month after the event. If they have been having this go on for over a month, then they have PTSD. So sexual dysfunction. There is delayed ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, female orgasmic disorder, and premature ejaculation. So delayed ejaculation is when there is involuntarily marked delay in or frequency of ejaculation on nearly all occasions. Um, this lasts for at least six months and it caused there to be distress in the patient. So as you'll notice from a lot of things we talk about in psychiatry, there has to be some kind of distress to the patient. The treatment, however, is primarily cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, in erectile dis disorder, um, there's marked difficulty in obtaining or maintaining an erection or loss of er um, erectile rigidity for at least a six-month time frame. In these patients, we want to check the total testosterone because low testosterone can actually be the cause of this. And then we want to treat them with things like um, sildenafil, which is a phosphodiesterase type 5 inhibitor, but also um, tadalafil and verdenafil can also be used. Moving on to female orgasmic disorder, this is a markedly delayed, infrequent, or absent organ um, orgasms. This has to go on for at least six months, and this can cause a lot of distress. We can treat them with cognitive behavioral therapy, sensate focus, and directed masturbation. For premature ejaculation, this is ejaculation during sexual activity with partners within one minute or before the patient wishes it. Um, this has to last for at least six months and occurs on almost all occasions. Um, and we can treat this with SSRIs or the squeeze technique or CBT. 
For counseling for unhealthy behaviors, this is something that you'll definitely do on your family medicine clerkship. I know I already have. Um, we can counsel them for against smoking, against alcohol and drug abuse and sedentary lifestyle, as well as unhealthy diet or non-adherence to medical regimens or anything that you think is unhealthy. So there's different stages in how people are processing change, and it's important for us to know where a person is. So there's pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse. So in pre-contemplation, no current interest, they have no current interest in changing behavior. They give the, and they, they tell you I'm not interested in changing. So a good example of this is a patient tells you, um, you ask about their smoking and they tell you, oh, I'm, I'm not ready to quit smoking. Um, you in the situation would want to give the patient a firm statement about risks and encourage them to think about the issue. So one thing you could say in response to this is, I understand that you are going to keep smoking. Um, smoking can cause you to have an increased risk of lung cancer, COPD, um, and coronary artery disease. If you're ever interested in, in quitting smoking, I'm here for you and I have medical therapies that can help you. When they're at the contemplation um, phase, they're thinking about changing their behavior, but they may be ambivalent. So um, a patient may say, you know, I'm really thinking about quitting smoking, but I'm scared that I won't be able to do so. Or I'm thinking about quitting smoking, but uh, I don't think I'm ready yet. Um, or I'm thinking about quitting smoking, but, you know, I don't know yet. Um, and in this situation, we may want to highlight the risks of behavior and benefits of change. So one thing that you can say is, oh, um, again, coronary artery disease is related to uh, smoking. So it's COPD and lung cancer. Um, people who quit smoking are often very successful and um, their uh, likelihood of having lung cancer returns to normal in X number of years after they quit smoking. As far as preparation goes, they're ready to change, but they're unsure of how to do it. So someone comes in and they say, you know what? I've decided to quit smoking. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'd really like some assistance. Um, and so in these situations, we can help patients by listing options and prioritizing them. So with smoking as a, our ongoing example, we would say, you know, we have medications like Wellbutrin, but we also have nicotine replacement therapies. Nicotine replacement therapies work a little bit better for smoking cessation, and I think that's our first line therapy. How would you feel about starting with something like that um moving on to action this is when a person is making positive change in behavior so a person says you know what i have quit smoking and i am taking i'm using um, my nicotine replacement patch so um in this situation we want to praise them and closely monitor them so we would say oh my god that's such a good job i'm so glad that you've stopped for three days um i'd like to see you back in a month just to check in on how you're doing at your smoking cessation uh, with maintenance, this is when the change is established. So um, a person tells you, I have stopped smoking and I haven't smoked in a year. Um, and these we want to re review triggers of relapse and options for addressing them. So you say, you know, do you still hang out with the same friends that you um, had when you were smoking? Or do you still go out on the porch and hang out? Um, and talk to them about how they might be able to address those. For relapse, this is a common thing that happen. Most people who smoke actually take multiple times to stop smoking. Um, we want to tell them that it's okay that they relapse, but we also want to encourage the patient to try to stop again. And you want to figure out what did they learn in the previous attempt. So a patient may say, oh, I'm really embarrassed, but I started smoking again. And you can say, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that you fell off the wagon. What happened? Why did you start smoking again? Can we do anything to assist you? And that has been all of Psychological Disorders of Adults. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.